This is Restless. Welcome back to Restless. I am Matt, your host, who always lets it fly when I'm in the booth. And today, I am joined by Pastor Michael. What? What does that mean? <laughs> you know what it means when you're recording. I, th- I think you know. <laughs> today, today we're going to let it fly with a special interview. New pers- new interview, all, you know, uh, you didn't see this coming, but we are going to interview Pastor Michael today. Wow, pretty cool. So I'm in the hot seat. You are in the hot seat because today we are actually going to discuss a book you wrote called 70 Times 7 Reflections on Forgiveness. It's actually 77 times. Oh! Yeah, see? Wow. Yeah. So there, there are actually several other books called 70 Times 7. Sure. Uh, but I took the ESV's particular translation of the phrase. Uh, and use that instead. <laughs> wow. Well, welcome to the show, Pastor Michael. Yeah, well, thank you. It's so nice to be on. You know, this is actually the first interview. First interview I'm doing. You can tell yep. <laughs> by how we've started. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, tell tell the, tell the our listeners just a little bit about the book and where they can find it if they're looking for it. Yeah, so um, I did. I wrote a book. Um, it is called 77 Times Reflections on Forgiveness. Uh, so this came about uh, starting maybe two or three years ago now. Uh, I began to write several reflections on uh, the topic of forgiveness for our church and uh, for those in our church that would want to read it. And uh, as I did that, I just spent maybe uh, a year and a half or more kind of reflecting on, uh, thinking about various passages in the Bible having to do with forgiveness. And uh, once I started that, I really had the goal the whole time to eventually put these things into a book, uh, a small book, because I wanted to honestly just learn how to uh, self-publish a book. And so I thought, oh, this is a good topic. This is a good thing. And I mean, honestly, I want this uh, concept, this biblical idea to be everywhere. And for everybody to see it. And so I thought, well, let's put it in another format. Maybe, you know, I, I already know of people who have, you know, gotten it that otherwise probably didn't read any of the stuff I wrote before, um, just because it's a different uh, way of putting it out there. So um, hopefully that's kind of the, you know, the goal. But that's what brought it about initially. Well, the exciting news for you, the restless listener, is that when Pastor Michael wrote a book, you knew we were going to give it away That's in some right. format. And so today we are announcing the 77 times giveaway that we are not going to give away. We, we will not give away 77 of them. <laughs> Unless we get a lot more people listening yeah. to this podcast. Yeah, and then they'll have to be e-versions. But I am holding a beautiful hard copy of this book, and we would like to send two out That's right. to the listeners. And so the first person, if you're listening to this, this is your chance. The first person who rates and reviews this and sends it to our email, restlesspodcasting at gmail.com, will be sent one of these beautiful paperback books. And then, but don't worry, if you're not first, there's still a chance you could win. Then Pastor Michael will choose his favorite podcast rating over the next month, and that person will likewise yep, be awarded review, a book. you got to do something something to uh, make it stick out but i will pick one and we will send you a book as well so two possible ways to win a book that's right and as our reviews on itunes get closer as 
a as any longtime listener knows, once we hit 50 reviews, we are going to start our book review of the Young, Restless, and Reform book by Colin Hansen. All and right. so that will be... Uh, we're close, too. I think we're within we're Probably within 10 a or something, or so, yeah. yeah. We're getting close to that deep dive. So we know it's what you want, and just give us the reviews we need, and we'll dive in. So let's talk a little bit about forgiveness today. We're going to go a little bit off the beaten path. But as we've told our OPC friend Rob, he gets to come on and talk about whatever he wants. Pastor Michael is earned the same courtesy by co-hosting this <laughs> podcast with me. I've made this it to the same level as Rob. <laughs> yeah, that's right, as Rob. So the I've read the book. I think it will be interesting for people to read. I think it will be helpful. One thing you say very early on in the book, I think in the introduction, is that the great need of our time is forgiveness. Why do you think so? Why do you say that? Uh, so number one is because it is the great need of all times. Sure. Right. This is um, ever since the fall, the great need has been forgiveness. The great, uh, you know, enemy of the human race is death, which is a consequence of sin. Uh, and so many of the you know various uh, issues that we face are simply uh, our various attempts to deal with guilt and shame uh, in ways that are uh, also wrong, also sinful, uh, in ways that are idolatrous, uh, in ways that are still rebellious because we are uh, seeking to uh, find salvation outside of Christ, uh, and there is no other name under heaven by which men might be saved. So uh, it doesn't work, in other words. Um, So in that sense, it's just always been the great need. Uh, this is why Christ came into the world, right? So that we could be forgiven of our sins, so that we could be reconciled to God through Christ's body on the cross, through his death. And so, um, so it's the great need of all time. Uh, in a particular way, I know that most people today would say uh, they see increasing partisanship, increasing uh, hatred, probably you would say, anger uh, toward one another. Um, There's uh, a huge amount of what I would uh, describe as guilt manipulation, uh, trying to use people uh, in such a way, trying to guilt them into doing something for you. Um, This could define most of, you know, modern day uh, politics and just everyday, like, you know, family discourse. And, uh, you know, it's often used, I think, uh, instead of true love, a giving of something, uh, you're always using different ways to kind of twist somebody into doing something for you. Um, all of this, I think, actually uh, has its root in the fact that we are uh, a people largely unforgiven, who are full of guilt and shame, and are trying to deal with it in mm. some way. Uh, and so that's, I mean, that's why in a particular way, I think we see this again with this buildup of animosity amongst people, the great need is forgiveness. The great need is to first be forgiven yourself. And then, uh, beyond that also, uh, be able to then forgive as God in Christ has forgiven you. Yeah. So obviously this is the, the path back to God only comes through forgiveness and path into relationships with others is totally dependent on forgiveness and so every other i don't know manifestation is going to cause problems and 
and again, this is the an interesting thing of when we, if we talk about the gospel being primarily about the forgiveness of sins, some people are uncomfortable with that because we want the gospel to be everything. Be everything, yeah. And, but if, if we can understand forgiveness rightly, as you're saying, forgiveness is very much one thing, right? It is a forgiving of, we'll, we'll let you talk more about it, of sins, of debts, right? A release of these things. But it does have far-reaching consequences and a lot of power. That's even. right. And so the idea that Christ came to die for the forgiveness of sins is very much one thing, but right. it's not a small thing. No, and, and it's a, right, it's the central thing. It is a, a seed that grows up into a, a great tree that produces much fruit. And so maybe I would even add too, maybe to your first question, um, why it's a great need. For those of you listening to this podcast, right, thinking about the Young Restless Reform, one of the conversations we've had some on this podcast, and I know I've had outside of this podcast with those kind of involved in these circles, is that uh, this was a movement that was all about the gospel, right? So it's gospel-centered everything. Uh, and yet, so many people burned out uh, feeling like they just couldn't do enough or like they just couldn't handle it. Um, and a lot of times, I, I didn't understand this for a long time. I couldn't, I couldn't quite put my finger on what exactly was going on. Uh, but I think a lot, large part of it is that when the gospel is everything, right? So when, when that's all you have, you have to make the gospel everything uh, instead of the central thing, instead of the foundation uh, of everything else. You have to make literally everything fit into the gospel. And so all of a sudden, the gospel is doing these good works. It's going out and, you know, being, uh, you know, showing the gospel or, or being the gospel in a sense uh, to others. And so you're you're, you know, all of a sudden using the gospel as if it were a social program or, or something like that. Um, and, you know, how many books are titled the gospel of whatever, or the gospel in whatever it might be, um, when it's not talking specifically about uh, the, the forgiveness of sins through Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. It's talking about something else. It's talking about doing something usually. Uh, and this, I think, caused a lot of people, although they heard in much of the preaching, the grace of God through the forgiveness of sins, I think then they were told that this comes in some way by doing something, mm -hmm. you know, by uh, being a part of this particular movement, by being a part of these particular churches, by, you know, uh, giving up uh, everything to go and do uh, missions in some extravagant way or whatever it might be. And most of the things that were said, right, most of the things that were uh, expected, even a lot of like, you know, social reform efforts within kind of the YRR um, or like, you know, uh, work within the culture in various ways. It's not as though these were horrible things in and of themselves, fine things, great things even. Uh, but as soon as they got tied into what the gospel is, mm. that is, that all of a sudden caused, I think, basically a kind of works righteousness amongst even those who were the most outspoken against the very idea of works righteousness. And so um, that too is why I think this is this is incredibly important to re kind of recommit ourselves or, or uh, uh, come back to that foundational uh, principle of what the gospel actually is. Right. It is, yeah. It is this central focus on Christ's work, yeah, of God forgiving our sins in Christ, and that then you know as we can see there are many benefits 
that come with Christ done, right? Our justification. We can be declared righteous before God. Our increasing sanctification. Our future glorification. That we are now adopted as sons of God, right? That these are all... You can, you can easily see how these things can all link into forgiveness. Less so how I can link in like, and now I have to go and engage in a social reform movement. Right. Not that it might not be important. Right. But it does not have a direct line in. Yeah, right. And yeah, so you, uh, you all of a sudden you have to like, you know, be a part of a city to like bring the gospel or maybe even to know the gospel, right? Because the city teaches us much about the gospel. Evidently. That's right. And so like there's just all these extra things that are added in all of a sudden to that central message. Uh, and it dilutes it, but it also then, you know, creates a burden uh, that is piled up on people's backs. That, I mean, that this is legalism, mm-hmm. right? The, the greatest enemy of the YRR in many ways, I think in, in many ways was central to the movement. Yeah. So back to your book, though, you wrote a, it's kind of a short 19 chapters on forgiveness. How do you imagine um, someone would, will use your book, will read your book? What do you think? Yeah, I'm when it comes to like how people read books or how they should use them, I'm pretty uh, libertarian, maybe you could say, uh, because I am, I am one who, you know, might sit down with like a devotional book and just read it all uh, because it's just what I do. I don't know mm-hmm. that that's necessarily the best way to do it. It's just, that's how I often do it. So um, I, I don't know. I'm a little slow to say there's one particular way to do it. I think it could be helpful. I mean, they are short. Um, it's short chapters. They are, you know, it would take you only a couple minutes to read a chapter. Uh, and, you know, it's like a page and a half or two pages uh, per chapter. And each one, uh, you know, each chapter heading begins with a scripture reference uh, that then is, you know, kind of central to whatever that chapter is about. And so it wouldn't be a bad, you know, use of it to use it in maybe a more devotional way, I think. Um, if that's helpful for you, if that's a, the kind of thing that you would typically do. Um, otherwise, it's the kind of book, I mean, you could you could sit down and read through it in, you know, an hour and a half, two hours probably, uh, depending on your reading level. And I think that could also be very beneficial. There really, uh, I mean, when I originally wrote these things, it was, you know, maybe one, it was like one a week was, you know, coming out. So they were kind of, you know, shorter, uh, more incremental. Uh, but also, I mean, the the whole flow of the book is is meant to kind of you know uh, build on itself or go together in such a way that if you were to read it all you might catch some things that you might not otherwise and so there's you know there's a lot of of tie-in so um you know the book is basically built around two primary ideas number one the forgiveness of god to us uh, and then the fact that we're commanded to forgive others as christ uh, as God in Christ has forgiven us. And so, um, you know, building around those two, if you start off with the first half then and read all of that, you know, you'll probably pick up on things uh, in the second half a little bit better if you're reading it sooner rather than later. But again, I don't know. It's it's up to you. You can read it however you want, Matt. <laughs> I think I read it um, in, in shorter spurts, but I do think that, um, I do think that, it could be helpful, as you're saying, to, to read it potentially in either direction. And I do think in the back, I just wanted to ask, do you, in your, obviously forgiveness is talked a lot about a lot in the scriptures. 
do you think your scripture index has most references to forgiveness? That's a good question. I would say it probably has most. Um, it definitely is not all, mm-hmm. uh, but it is it is most. And you'll find, I mean, if you read the book, uh, you'll find I don't, you know, I, I, my baseline is the idea of forgiveness, but what you find in scripture is that central to the idea of forgiveness is so many other things sure. um, around what that means and what it looks like. And the idea of pardon or the you know pain of debts or or any of these you know ideas redemption. Um, so there's a lot of other ideas uh, kind of within the you know the the matrix of what exactly forgiveness is mm. uh, that help you understand it. And so uh, you know I don't I don't know that I got all of them, but I mean while I was working through this, I, I think I probably looked up every time forgiveness or something around the idea of forgiveness is mentioned. Hmm. and use many of them hmm. you know uh, i don't know that it was all though yeah so why don't you uh i don't know share a few of the ways either a few of the images or a few of these different ways the bible describes forgiveness or the or the yeah the language it uses to picture forgiveness to us yeah um so uh one of the things that you find is that uh there are many different ways that the bible speaks of forgiveness there's not just one uh and it's uh, absolutely beautiful and how you know I, of course it is right because it deals with the forgiving of our sins right this great problem uh the the great need that we have uh and and of course that's going to be strikingly beautiful mm. uh and uh we worship a, a god who makes all things beautiful so uh, anyway uh, that you know maybe the uh the image that first comes to mind uh, when just thinking about forgiveness in general uh, is uh, the idea of the you know the forgiving of a debt or the pain of a debt. Um, so the title of the book, 77 Times, comes from uh, Jesus' discourse with his disciples when they're asking him about forgiveness. And, you know, uh, uh, Peter's asking, how many times do I have to forgive? Uh, is it, you know, is it seven times? Am I, you know, am I off the hook after that? And uh, Jesus tells him, no, you have to forgive 77 times. And uh, following that, he gives a parable, uh, this parable of the unforgiving servant. So I'm sure it's one that's familiar with many of our listeners, uh, where there is uh, a man who is forgiven an unbelievable size debt, right? A debt that's literally impossible for him to ever make up. Uh, it, it is unbelievable how he could even come up with a debt this big. Right. And How yet could he that's what he gotten that much? Right. How could he have done this? Um, and yet when he asks for mercy, the king whom he owes gives him mercy. And then uh, he walks out and finds a servant, uh, a fellow servant that owes him money. And it's an unbelievably small amount. Right? So it's, it's as if somebody has, you know, uh, paid off your mortgage. And then you go and find your... Uh, friend who owes you a nickel and you're like i still need that nickel back uh and uh, i did not mean to say nickel back there but uh but i need i need my money back and uh he doesn't get the money so he throws the the fellow servant into uh into uh debtor's prison if i'm remembering right uh but he he accosts him basically for this money uh well the other servants see it and they find out so they tell the king and of course the king Uh, is displeased because how could you being forgiven such a tremendous debt not forgive uh, your fellow servant 
Uh, and of course, when it's put in such you know stark terms, we would feel the same way. Of course, that's true. Uh, the The difficulty comes when we realize that actually that's us uh, a lot of the time. And any time that we harbor bitterness in our heart uh, towards someone else, any time that we you know we remember, we cling on, and we remember that time that that person made that slide remark. And I'm not going to forget that, right? I'm going to get back at them for this, whatever it might be. Uh, we're doing that same thing, right? If God has forgiven us in Christ uh, and we're to forgive as he has forgiven us, that, I mean, what does that mean? That means anything. Mm-hmm. That means anything that someone else does to you, you are to forgive. Uh, and it, I mean, it's extremely difficult and it's, you know, it's hard. But this idea of paying off of a debt um, helps us kind of quantify it in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um it helps us to quantify in a sense that which is unquantifiable because you're able to see, oh, obviously somebody who, you know, has this massive debt should then be more gracious to those who have almost no debt toward them. Uh, but no, it's not like that. It's, uh, this is, and the, the warning there is that, uh, what is going to happen to someone who is unforgiving like that? Right. They're the ones that are then going to be thrown into the prison, right? Where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. I want to get into that more, and we'll come back maybe because there's a passage, and it's in the it's in the Lord's Prayer that people find mm-hmm. very difficult yeah. about forgiveness. But it's interesting, right, that you said anything a person can do to you, you're commanded to forgive. I even think in Christian circles today, the idea that you should just you need to forgive others like that is somewhat not popular oh it's not at all right yeah no ab- absolutely which is strange like it's horrible right uh, in, in one sense but also it is understandable in that i don't want to forgive right. and, someone who's done something to me you know and obviously with how you've been speaking you're not just saying just forgive just right. get over right whatever yeah, someone the, did to the, you like you i know, think that's give and forget yeah like a cheap way yeah of doing it mm-hmm. right and i and so i do understand that um there is the, in incredibly difficult situations, there is more that may need to happen than just forgiveness. Right. Absolutely. But for the follow of Christ, I don't think there's less. That's right. Yeah. It, it all starts uh, with forgiveness. And so actually, I, I mean, I bring that up uh, at one point in the book uh, that forgiveness is not cheap. Mm. Uh, so it's just because uh, this is, you know, maybe to get into the, the psychology of it, Maybe it's because we uh, receive the forgiveness of God freely. Mm-hmm. It, it's not something that we have to earn. It's not something that we do anything for. That then, therefore, sometimes we might think of forgiveness as like, oh, it's just, oh, of course, you just get it. It's just like a cheap thing. Right. Uh, but it wasn't cheap. Christ literally died. Yeah. Hence, hence the need to meditate even more on Christ. That's right. And the cross. That's right. Yeah. No, Christ died. Christ uh, suffered under the wrath of God to forgive these sins. Yeah. So it is not cheap. Uh, it's unbelievably difficult. Yeah. yeah, this actually brings me to um, one of my favorite chapters in the book, and I'll just give them this as kind of a teaser for what they can look to find. Chapter 4, which you call Abundant Pardon, you quote Isaiah 55, 6 and 7, which I'll read. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. And in the chapter, you point out how amazing a promise this is for the abundant pardon of God. Mm. But what got me, what I found so interesting, is when at the end of the chapter you conclude it 
with the verses that immediately follow yeah. this description of God's actions to the repentant. And it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And you mentioned, you write this as we usually hear this quoted about the transcendence of God. Right. When we're having a theological conversation, and of course I've thought of this verse that way, described, used this verse that way. Mm -hmm. But what you're saying is, this is, the there's a four. It's four, God is describing how forgiving he is. Yeah. Yeah, the primary context of that passage is not deep theological debate that we don't quite understand. It's that he forgives so abundantly, right. and he is pardoned so abundantly. That's what is so far above what we could imagine. And that's what reminded me of um, what you were saying, right? When we think about forgiveness and how God forgives us, we're like, well, it doesn't, it does not compute with us because it is so much higher it's than so us. So much higher. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And it it is uh, striking how uh, throughout the scripture um, and I I mean, I was struck by this. Right. I mean, this was this was me taking time, reflecting on these passages and then ending up, you know, uh, writing about them in the end. Uh, but over and over, uh, the emphasis in scripture is on the unbelievable abundance of God's forgiveness mm. and the the abundance of his grace. And that is central to how he has decided to reveal himself to us even. Uh, now we, I mean, we're good reform types, right? We want to talk about the wrath of God, which mm -hmm. is necessary, and the anger of God towards sin. And that's necessary and good and right because the Bible speaks of these things. But uh, God has revealed himself as a God who is slow to anger, who is abounding in steadfast love, uh, you know, who will not, he will not pardon the guilty, um, but he does have mercy. And so there's just this, uh, this overwhelming uh, sense throughout the scripture that this is how God wants us to know him, mm. right? This is central to his very character, uh, that he is a God full of mercy and grace and forgiveness. Yeah, so... Do you have a particular section either in your book or just a particular scripture that for you you find either comes to mind or is a is a favorite on forgiveness? Uh, so this is uh, the scripture that I deal with in uh, the first chapter of the book, actually. Uh, but this is from uh, Psalm 103. This is verse, verses 8 to 14. It says, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So this is, you know, uh, what I've just quoted. Actually, this is when the Lord reveals himself to Moses uh, and he says I, that he was going to uh, proclaim his name to Moses. This is what he says. Uh, he says what I just read, right? He says, he will not ch always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As far as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. So you see there the, the condescension of God, right? The kindness of God, like that of a father. But especially that image of him removing our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. Hmm. How far is that? 
is forever far. You know, right. like it's right. it's uh, it it is as far as far can be. Uh, that is how far he's taken away our sins. Yeah. Well, before we close, I want uh, you to help me and help our friends who are hopefully with us discovering Reformed piety. Um, And they might at some point realize that the Lord's Prayer is central to it. We use the Lord's Prayer uh, in the history of Christian worship a lot. We should teach it to our children. We should pray it ourselves. However, once you do that, you actually realize that the fifth petition in my mind and for a long time seemed to uh, puzzle me and so i'm just going to read um the back half of the lord's prayer and so give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil and if that verse didn't feel enough like god's forgiveness of me was dependent on me doing something that is forgiving others Let me read Jesus' explanation immediately following the Lord's Prayer. For if you forgive others' trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others' trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Mm. So I think this, for a lot of people, is, is in some ways at least kind of a mental stumbling block. Every time we come up to this prayer that we have at least learned is supposed to be central. Right. What do, what do you do with that? Do you either do you, how did you handle it in the book or how would you help someone think through how to pray that? How do I pray? Forgive me as I forgive others. Uh, I mean, number one, you do pray it, right? Yep. So, I mean, that is, it's in the Lord's prayer. So you can't come to it and think, okay, well, uh, I don't know about this part or that doesn't really align with my theology. So we're not going to do that. Nope. I mean, it's there. Uh, right. That's not an option that you have. And actually this is a consistent testimony throughout scripture hmm. uh, there there are many other times so i do i do have a chapter uh, in the book where i deal with this um, called if you don't forgive hmm. and uh so there are many places in the new testament where this very idea is said uh that if you do not forgive you will not be forgiven hmm. um, and one of the things that i want to point out with that is because if you don't forgive someone else the point is that you don't actually get forgiveness like, you don't understand what forgiveness is. In other words, you do not know Christ if you are unwilling to forgive. And I'm not talking about, you know, for a period of time and then you repent of it. And, uh, I mean, if you are uh, living in unforgiveness, unrepentantly, right? Maybe justifying it, right? Well, like, okay, well, I mean, you don't understand what they did to me. This is much worse than just a lie or something like that, right? They hurt me in ways that you don't even understand. Um, When you harbor any kind of unforgiveness in your heart, uh, number one, that doesn't, I mean, that doesn't hurt someone else. I mean, in a sense it might, but I mean, it's going to destroy you first, right? That destroys your soul. Uh, But you don't understand then how much God has done for you in Christ and how much you have been forgiven. You don't know Christ. At least not how you're supposed to. Um, Because if you understood how uh, unbelievably amazing it is that you have been completely forgiven of every one of your sins, you cannot withhold that from other people. Uh, Now, sometimes, especially in like kind of new Calvinism, I think, you know, there was this tendency to uh, try to read the 
the ultimate or the the spiritual, um, maybe that's not the best way to put it, but the invisible reality into the visible reality in such a way that we talk about things like election. And then we're like, okay, I'm going to go walk around and decide who's elect and who isn't. I think you could do that with this too. You could be, you could uh, kind of go off the rails a little bit um, in one of two ways. One way uh, that I think is probably most common, and so that's what I'll talk about, is that uh, if if you say, oh, well, I have been forgiven of all my sins in Christ, then you might be able to pass up the fact that you're refusing to forgive others. You might say in your mind, oh, well, I know I've been forgiven, so it's not a big deal yeah. if I just keep harboring this animosity toward them uh, because of what they did to me. Uh, but that is to, I think, read, in a sense, the, the invisible into the visible, in that like this is the command God has given us. If you're not forgiving someone, uh, then uh, you will not be forgiven. Now, that, again, that doesn't mean that in the ultimate sense, you can't ever struggle or deal with this as like, a, you know, I'm having trouble forgiving this person, or like I'm in sin, but I do ultimately repent of that sin. Hmm. Um, we don't have, you know, we're, we've not been given that uh, invisible reality to see and judge by. Um, what we've been given is that, you know, the promises of God, the promise that we will be forgiven. In Christ, we are completely forgiven. Um, and there's no question about it. Uh, but if you are not forgiving others, you, you don't get it. You might think that you get it. Uh, but if you're refusing to forgive, you actually don't. Yeah. The Shorter Catechism puts it this way in the fifth petition, which is, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We pray that God, for Christ's sakes, would forgive and pardon all our sins, which we are rather encouraged to ask because by his grace we are enabled from the heart to forgive others. That's right. And this is actually, it goes right back to uh, the reason why I titled the book what I did. Uh, this idea of 77 times. So this comes up in the... Uh, a conversation that, again, that the disciples are having with Jesus. And, and Peter says, you know, uh, Lord, how many times am I to forgive my brother if he sins against me? Seven times? And uh, in Peter's mind, the fact that he asked, says seven times, he probably thinks of himself pretty highly. Like he's probably thinking, okay, it's pretty crazy that I would be so forgiving as to forgive my brother seven times when he comes to me. Uh, that's that's a big deal. Uh, but Jesus says, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times, or 70 by seven. Uh, 70 times seven, rather. Uh, and this is kind of a strange thing for us. I mean, in the modern world, uh, we don't have, or we don't naturally think of the symbolic value of numbers in quite the same way. So the very idea of 70 times seven or 77, right, a double seven, like that's, this is... Uh, you know, uh, this, you know, it's the number of completion or perfection times two, like doubled. Uh, it's, that's a big deal in itself. Uh, but also if you look at where, uh, this idea of 77 times comes up elsewhere in scripture, the first time it shows up is in the book of Genesis, right at the beginning, it's in the line of Cain and it has to do with Lamech. Uh, Lamech is, uh, the first, uh, person that is mentioned in scripture to have taken more than one wife and uh, he uh, speaks to his wives uh, and he says uh, this Lamech said to his wives uh, Ada and Zillah hear my voice you wives of Lamech listen to what I say I have killed a man for wounding me 
a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. And that right there should, I think, help us to know what exactly Jesus is saying. Because in the line of Cain, in the line of sinful man, in other words, right, symbolically represented in the line of Cain, in in our natural flesh, uh, our sinful nature, we want revenge. We want to get even. We want to uh, do more than get even, right? We want to, if they, if they hurt us, we want to kill them. That's what's in our hearts. It's revenge. It's anger. Uh, it's hate. And uh, what Jesus is saying is not, okay, Peter, uh, actually, you need to make a list. And as long as you get to 77, you need to keep forgiving. And then after that, go ahead, you know, like have Adam. Uh, no, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that the natural human way, since Lamech, and even before, is that of hatred, is that of revenge, and that is not the way of Christ. That is not the way that you are to live and act if you have been forgiven. Now that you have been forgiven, you now forgive. Uh, it doesn't matter the harm. And any time that we start to try to quantify or to make excuses by saying, well, look at this great sin. It, you know, I, I don't really have to forgive whatever this might be, right? What about like a murder? Well, how many times is murder forgiven in the Bible? Actually, that does happen, right? Um, and again, look to Christ. W what did Christ do? Well, he's hanging on the cross, being killed for your sin, right? He was murdered, an innocent man, perfect, the son of God even. And he was murdered because of your sin. And what did he say? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Uh, so even to the very end, he had the heart of forgiveness. And I think that's what he's calling in for in us as well. And I guess that is why I wrote the book. Yeah. Well, we don't normally do uh, just, yeah, scriptural application here. But it's been great. And if you want more of it, you can pick up the book. Get the book. We'll put the link in the 77 description. 77 times. Yeah, 77 times. Search it with my name. You can find it on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or really anywhere, I believe, that uh, books are sold. Again, we're going to give away two of them. Yep. So uh, review review the show and send it, send it to us. Send us a screenshot of it. And we will uh, make sure that a couple people get the book. And join us next week for some more New Calvinist Fun. New Calvinist Fun. Thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode of Restless, where I get to uh, plug this book. I think it. I think it's only right. I helped to start a podcast. I can use it to plug That's right. the book. You can plug it. You can plug it again and again. <laughs> we can uh, make August the seventy-seven book club month. We're gonna do seventy-seven episodes all about this book. <laughs> we, but, but, I, but it would be fun to hear what people think That's if right. people get it and read it. So Yeah, yeah, please let us know. And rate and review this show, and maybe you'll win the book yourself. <laughs>